This podcast was sponsored by American Leadership Forum Silicon Valley Leadership Circle members, Senior Fellows Randy Pond and Lisa Sonsini, and our 2016 class matchers, Darla Anderson, Class 24, Dottie Hayes, Class 19, and Steve Smith, Class 14. We thank them for their support. Welcome to The Dialogue. I'm Suzanne St. John Crane. Santa Clara County Supervisor Cindy Chavez and Destination Home Executive Director Jennifer Loving have been voices for our county's most vulnerable for decades. Cindy Chavez served two terms on the San Jose City Council, including two years as vice mayor. Under her tenure as Executive Director of Working Partnerships USA, she pioneered the Children's Health Initiative, making Santa Clara County the first in the nation to provide health coverage to every child. Jen Loving has worked in a variety of shelter, street, and permanent housing programs and helped develop the county's Housing First program for homeless families. She facilitated the production of Home Not Found, the most comprehensive cost of homelessness study completed in the United States. How these two women creatively problem solved, drawing on decades of experience, trial and error, and had the courage to put forth the largest piece of legislation in Santa Clara County history to address homelessness is an inspired story of determination, compassion, and networked leadership. So Cindy, you've come out passionately championing Measure A, and I have to ask, why this issue and why why now? There are so many different issues that as a community we try to deal with. Um, domestic violence, the needs of veterans, what's happening to foster youth becoming homeless, the medical needs of our entire community. And one thing that became very clear to me is that we were spending all of this money to try to make people better who didn't have a home. We were doing it backwards. And because of the leadership of like organizations like Destination Home and under the leadership of people like Mike Wasserman and Chuck Reed and, and frankly people from all over the political spectrum, it created a window of opportunity for the county to start to see its role differently. And so there's leadership, and then one other really significant thing happened, and that is in the state of California, the number one um, source of funds we were using to build affordable housing was redevelopment. And when that went away, it left us with this very profound question, which is, who's going to take responsibility? And it appeared to me that given that the county is spending almost half a billion dollars a year to provide services to people, that it really was an opportunity for the county to take leadership. You know, I loved being in class with Jen, uh, loving in <laughs> class uh, 25. We had many conversations about this, right? And one of the things that um, we would often kind of grapple with is, you know, as we walked outside in downtown San Jose, and we would see folks on the street, and I have a very personal connection to homelessness. My mother was homeless. I mm. share that very, you know, openly. It's part of the reason I got involved at home first. How do we get people to care? How can people walk past and not care? And is it really about not caring, or is it a perception, in your opinion, that this is it's government's job to solve? I can't really do anything. So here's the most exciting news. And sometimes things just happen at the right time for the right reason. So one is leaders like Jen, Dave Cortezzi, Mike Wasserman, Matt Mayhood, Ben Field, a lot of people care about this issue. But now... I mean, in leadership, right? But now we have the voters caring about this issue. So I remember doing a poll in the 90s asking people, would you be willing to invest in, I I think then it might have been the housing trust, and voters told us, 
a big raspberry. Meh, no, we are, we are not interested. But now, 30%, 31% of all voters in this county recognize housing and homelessness as the number one problem facing our county. Normally, it's tra transportation, education, public safety. No, it's housing and homelessness. So this is a window of opportunity because I think the community is ready and people were just looking for a solution. And this isn't the solution, it's a solution. Jen, I want to ask you a question too in terms of, you know, you've spent your career at organizations, many of which were direct service organizations, and I was always curious sort of what, what led you to do that hands-on work mm. and that very grassroots work and then make that shift to destination home. Where, how did that happen in your leadership journey? I think that for me, you know, my, my uncle ran a homeless shelter out of his church. He's like a Pentecostal type minister, right, in Venice Beach. And so I grew up as a little kid, like my daughter's age, seeing that anybody who needed help, they got it. You know, and it was a, mm -hmm. it was a funky kind of help, right? It was pray in the mornings, but you get fed and you have sleep in the pews. And so that was sort of normal. Somebody needs something from you, you give it to them. They, they don't have a home. You Well, of course, right? Like, that's what you do. And so I was always very present with homelessness and, and moved up here, actually. I wanted to get a job at Glide really bad. But I had no experience, really. And I applied, and everyone's like, no, little girl, no. And so I ended up getting a job at what well, it's home first now. It was EHC, or actually it was Emergency Housing Consortium, as a shelter worker. And um, I was so excited. You know, I was 26, maybe, just had a master's degree and was, like, you know, doing this work. And so um, we had gone through uh, years of, you know, the emergency shelter and, you know, the changing and funding and all that stuff. And I always felt, I always had this visual that I was at the end of a really dirty river and I'm bailing out this boat with like a little tiny bucket, right? All the homeless people, so many people coming, coming, coming. And all we're doing is like just kind of moving people around. And so all I felt, I started to think is all we're doing is really kind of keeping people alive. And so when Destination Home, when there was that Blue Ribbon Commission that was formed and there was leadership from Mayor Reed and from Supervisor Gage, and there was this big effort that went on. And I remember watching, I wasn't a part of it, I was watching it thinking this is the thing. If we do this right, this will be the thing. Because there's nobody that's saying enough. There's no political leadership saying we are responsible for this issue. And you touched on that a minute ago, Cindy, which was perfect for me because that was the first question we asked Destination Home when I stepped in was, are we going to be responsible for this or not? Because any decent person, once you say I'm responsible for that, you don't leave it there. You have to do something about it, right? And so le leadership at the county, including elected officials, leadership at San Jose, including elected officials, leadership at foundations and in tech and in, phil in philanthropy and all these sectors all together said, okay, well, we're responsible for this. And then people started acting on that level of responsibility. Somebody had to hold it. I think somebody did have to hold it and at first I remember when we said we're going to end chronic homelessness and and people said oh you're crazy and you know it was really at the beginning everyone just sort of wrote us off and thought well you know you can't do this and you can't make these big changes and we thought well we don't know but no one else is trying so we might as well try and we knew enough to know that other people were doing it better, right? So we were catching up, even though we're the Silicon Valley, we were catching up to gains that were happening in LA, even though their numbers are much worse, or New York. I'll tell you, now we have lapped a lot of these cities, right, in terms of we have really, I think, started to emerge as having some best practices, but then we really didn't. That was five years ago. The other piece of it that I get really excited about is the, the idea of collective impact. So, you know, homelessness is, you know, Cindy mentioned, you know, we do these 
types of people that the county helps. But the city has its other, they have their issues with homelessness, whether it's public safety or camps or whatever. The water district has its own issues. So everyone has this responsibility and these issues with people that are living outside, but no one has the full solution, right? And so collective impact model is so fantastic because everyone does what they do really well and puts it into the same bucket and we measure it all and we have the same outcomes and the same transparency. And there's someone who I like to think of Destination Home really often is just a cheerleader, right? There's someone who's saying, okay, yeah, let's keep going, let's keep going, let's keep going. And that, because by ourselves, Destination Home really, frankly, is nothing, you know, but it's the power of the network. Exactly. Mm -hmm. and it's interesting, on Friday at our ALF class, we had Jane Way-Skillern who came and, and spoke. She's a new faculty member there. And she's been studying network leadership and networks, in particular in the social sector, for the last 15 years. And just gave a great example of, um, it was Guide Dogs for the Blind, this whole case study she teaches. You know, she's a, a professor at um, Berkeley. And so she was talking about how an executive director came in there, and she had lots of money, lots of cap, lots of money in the bank for her huge organization, but how she chose to start letting go of things that weren't working. And what an incredibly brave, courageous act that was mm -hmm. because she was mission driven. It was not about owning, it wasn't about brand, it was about the mission. And I think that, that you know, Jane argues, as does ALF, that that's required in order for social change to happen, for real change to happen. So I think it's, it's sort of a, an evolution of collective impact a little bit. You have to be willing to fail because I think yes. we, we create a disincentive sometimes, I think, for community-based organizations. It's like, you have to do, tell us what you're going to do to get our money. Well, we're going to help 100 people with your money because I know I can do that. But better is... I'm going to try to help a thousand people. I don't know if I can do it, but I know I can do 500. So like, let's double whatever we think we can do. And if we fail, then let's talk about why that didn't work and what we need to be able to fix it. And, and I think part, partly the public sector and the private sector need to be willing to invest in mistakes. And we're really not. Like we don't, none of us, we, we yeah. don't create opportunities for nonprofits to tell the truth. Like this didn't work and here's why it didn't work. And, and I think there is value if we can codify what we've learned in investing in nonprofits, whether they have success out of the box or not. And, and our, our lack of tolerance for risk in the public sector is, is really problematic to making change. And, and you know, and there are a lot of risks, right? You end up in the paper and you just have to be okay with it. You have to, you know, you have to decide I'm going to be okay with a certain amount of, yeah. of failure. And yeah. it's hard. It's really hard. And Jen, you have been so involved in, in the whole homeless fight for so many years. I'm curious, you know, you, you, we see things on the news. We, we see stories of other communities who are, who are um, swearing by tiny homes. Tiny homes is a solution. Well, there's no silver bullet, right? Mm -hmm. There isn't one solution. But let me ask you, if you've seen things in other communities that you've gotten excited about that are working that you think might be implemented here in Silicon Valley? Well, I think tiny homes is interesting. I don't think it's the silver bullet. I think what's interesting about tiny homes is the opportunities for creative design, pre-build, so prefabricated units, and also different financing models. So could you do a 100% private finance tiny home project, right? That's going to cut out how much time in trying to get tax credits and all these other um, types of funding that usually can delay a project by a couple of years. So to me, I think of it as faster, not necessarily 
cheaper in the sense of like sacrificing what it means for people to live, right? But I think there's ways to bend the cost curve. So I think that's definitely one idea, but in Silicon Valley, because of land, I think we definitely always have to be thinking about going up, right? So tiny home stackable, you know, how can we just, you know, go up with that? Just the sprawl, I even I think is not the best use of our resources. Um, there's, a, there's communities in Southern California that are partnering with the federal government in a better ways than we are. For example, there's a nonprofit, one of our partnership path in, in San Diego, they actually administer the veterans vouchers for, for housing authority. That's huge, right? To have a nimbler CBO handling what's, you know, can obviously be sometimes be a prolonged federal, you know, funding program. So I think that's an example. San Francisco is doing some innovative things around, they have a, a a way to raise money that the government can accept the money and blend it with public dollars. It's able to use private money as a government, which I think is, is pretty cool. Cindy, have you seen any examples or case studies of things you're enthusiastic about? You know, I, I'm actually very enthusiastic about the work that Destination Homes already been doing because, you know, we, what I think that they've done really well is take what's working in other places and customize it to Silicon Valley. And, and for example, I think even being able to do a study, you know, in partnership with the county that said, what, what are we spending today? What could we be spending if we house people properly? I think most of us understand the humanitarian, you know, need, but the problem seems so big. I think people step back and, and can't even nip away at it. I think what Destination Home did by demonstrating that we could take chronically homeless people who cost the system the most amount of money put them in housing and that they would stay in housing is like a miracle. And that laid the groundwork for us being able to say, wow, wait a minute, the county can play a different role We and, and it's right that we do and it's cost effective. So it's not only humanitarian, but it's cost effective and therefore sustainable. So that I'm, I'm very excited about. The other thing I would say is that we, we haven't begun to understand what opportunities there are for local financing and part of the reason for that is that we haven't had money to bring to the table. But now, you know, if if um, our tax measure passes and if some other innovations that um, and strategies that the state is looking at come forward, the next question in my mind is going to be, okay, if we've got public dollars, could the private sector be a, a, a lender at a much less lower amount than we currently spend? and start to invest. And I think the answer to that is gonna be yes. And and I think one thing we all have to be, continuously be, is just brave. Like not be afraid to figure out how to get to scale. So, and it's hard. And I, I think really that to me, what's been really interesting to me is watching the leadership of people who, you know, really three, four or five years ago, this wasn't on their radar and now they're just 100% in. And, and, you know, on this network issue, I think that good ideas sort of start to stick on people. You know, you put an idea out there and it doesn't have an owner anymore and everybody's part of it. And that's what is so amazing about getting to the root of how to solve the housing problem right now here in Silicon Valley. And I think we're gonna do it. You know, one network, one sector can't solve homelessness, right? You're 100% right. right. So let me ask you this, Cindy, has anyone surprised you and how they've shown up to strategize on solutions? I mean, you've kind of alluding to that a little bit, and, or have they directly shown support for the measure itself, and you've, you've kind of been blown away by that? So I'll, I'll tell you my two, my two big um, extreme happy moments thus far in this campaign. Um, 
One is that I absolutely um, can't say enough about the nonprofit housing developers. Like they really have stepped up. And it, and that being said, I would expect them to, but not to the degree they did. People really stepped up. But the neat, like amazing, really amazing people, like John Sobrato. So John Sobrato is, is a guy who's been around in this valley a long time. He is somebody who, who could travel the world the rest of his life and never look back on this community. And he's not only given us his name, but he put in his own money to say, I believe. And and what it, what it's made me think about is people like him and people like um, <laughs> this young tech leader named Ben Spiro. So wrote a personal check, first personal check, the biggest personal check I've seen come into a campaign. And, and without a blink, right? So... We have old San Jose, old Silicon Valley meeting new Silicon Valley. Now, where I think there's a gap is that we need a lot more of new Silicon Valley to start stepping up. And I'll tell you a funny thing. So I talked to this guy yesterday and I said, I'm calling to talk to you about, you know, this housing measure and here's why. And I was really excited about it. And he's he was older and he said to me in a very, temp, you know, calming way, he said, uh, Cindy, I hope you're right. I don't know that you are, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to be around for you to keep calling me. So I want you to tell me who the next generation's going to be. Mm-hmm. And and I, I thought it was a profound challenge. So what, what I, so we're going to get this passed, and then I'm going to go, we're going to have to go get these other new people, right? And, and to me, let me just say one thing about ALF. The reason that I um, found such value in ALF is that it – it put me in a room with people that on any given day I can't imagine a thing that we would have in common or a vision that we could share. But the level of humanity that comes out of ALF, like that is its great, extraordinary gift. And then being able to organize that humanity in a way that has outcomes for the broader community. And I I think Measure A, this campaign, is a reflection of that. I mean, that's Mm. what it feels like to me. So there was a moment, and this is in 2013, when Jen and I were in class 25 together, and, you know, every time we met, we'd probably talk about homelessness and her work at Destination Home and my, you know, board work at Home First, and it's just like this incredible puzzle that's hard to figure out. How do we solve this? How do we move forward? And what are our successes and challenges, et cetera? And I would interpret, I would describe Jen as just a fierce, fierce advocate and very knowledgeable, but there was something there around what it was really going to cost to actually push this forward. And I remember sitting at a law firm in, uh, in Palo Alto and, and uh, there we were as a class having, having a session and Jen just said out loud, it's gonna cost half a billion dollars. It's gonna cost at least half a billion dollars and that's just what it's gonna be. And I just remember, <laughs> <laughs> I just remember this, I looked at you and you just had this absolute conviction and it was sort of like, I'm just gonna put it out to the universe and stop, let's just stop, let's just stop. Like this is what it's gonna cost. <laughs> and I just want you to describe to me sort of what led you to that moment and that I think courageous <laughs> statement in, in the room we were in. <laughs> Well, we had had by then, you know, and you're right, I'm obsessed about this, right? So I'm thinking about it all the time. And when I'm in, frankly, opulent places, right, like a fancy law firm, you're more present about it, right? Because you come from, you're coming from like, a, you know, where there's, you know, a lot of poverty and then you're in this really nice place and you think, how does anybody here think about what I think about? You know, like it's mm-hmm. just a little bit, 
that dichotomy in your brain. And I was also wrestling with, by then, housing 1,000. So we were housing 1,000 people. That took a lot of energy. But we were maybe in the second year of the campaign. And we were like, oh, we're, this is on. Like, we're going to do this, right? And so what's next? And I remember thinking, it's got to be a ton of money. And it's got to be. A, but at the time, it was a private sector, half a billion dollars. I said it first there. We need a half a billion dollars. I said it there. And then I said it to the board of Destination Home, who were all like, Oh no, what's she up to now? <laughs> but we're just doing Genie back in the bottle. Yeah. And, and so they said and so there was what was the right thing because these John Sobrato and Ben Sarris, very smart people, said, Well, how are you gonna do that? And I said, Well, I don't know, but this is what we need. And so we did some looking and testing and hired some people and consulting, and the consultants all said, Oh no, little girl, no, you can't do it. You can't do it. And I but for me it was an exercise in first. I needed to practice literally saying half a billion because I would catch myself saying half a million, half a million. Like I would, because you know, the B is a different mm -hmm. number when it comes to <laughs> poverty, right? Right. And so I had to get used to saying that. I, 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 at the same time, I was, I think it was on Facebook, somewhere there was a sign on my page that said, sometimes all you need is half a billion dollars. And, f and, my, and Fred Ferrer sent it to me. He's like, look at this. And I was like, the stars are aligning. I printed it out, hung it up all over the wall. All you need is a half a billion dollars. And so, the, but the consultants came back and said, we don't see how you're going to raise this in the private market. There's no, because the public sector has to go first. If the public sector did something big, the private money will follow. But you cannot expect them to go in if the government hasn't. And that was like, oh, and I swear to you, not that much longer, we started talking. Right. And I, and I had heard that number, too. And frankly, I thought it was low. <laughs> it was too low. And, and I, I remember thinking, I, re I remember asking you the same thing. You like, said that's not enough. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh but all that is to say, that this is what I mean about ideas. Like, it's one of the things I love so much about the Valley. And it's so what I truly love about the public sector, though, is that, you know, I, I think that when the time is right, people sort of start to believe, even when we're talking about something really difficult. And, um, and I, you know, again, I was talking to someone the other day who said, well, Cindy, you know government can almost do nothing right. And I said, you know what, let me just be clear. Businesses start every day and they fail. And no one thinks a blip about that. The fact of the matter is, is we've got one of the best governmental structures in the world. Not perfect, absolutely not perfect, but a, I would say a pretty good dance partner. So now I want to tell people, okay, so we're all in. Where are you, right? And the private sector has been slower in making decisions about. Oh, I don't know if we can support this, and I'm just. And it just makes me laugh because when people tell me that we're old and tired and difficult mm -hmm. and bureau bureaucratic, I've got some company names I can add right up there with it. Now, all that is to say, though, I really do believe. I really believe this that. Um, we are going to capture the hearts and minds of the community in a way that will change the way we deal with homelessness forever in this county. I, I totally believe it. And I believe that because, again, of the work of all these great nonprofits that have just been phenomenal, and, and the county's work too, and city of San Jose and other cities, that we're going to have a lot of models, we're going to test things, and we're going to figure things out that work, and we're going to be able to share those across the country. 
We Absolutely. Can do them all. Everything that we're doing now is about replication and scale. Right. Everything. That's this right. This money. Uh, the day after our board of supervisors voted on $950 million, LA said, oh, well, we should do $1.2 billion. They were talking about less than a million, They or less than a billion. They heard about what Santa Clara County did. There was no way with a, a, a city that has five, six, seven times the homeless population as us is going to do the same amount of money. They upped it automatically in 24 hours. I remember saying, just now, look, they're paying attention. They just went up. For the homeless population that we have, this is the single largest allocation anywhere. That's extraordinary. <laughs> it's extraordinary. That was a high five. <laughs> so I want to end with this. Um, <laughs> preaching to the choir. I mean, this has been a just unprecedented election year, right? Um, you know, to say the least, right? To say the least. We've witnessed unconventional and some might say uncomfortable conversations pushing our society to look at race and look at equity and look at misogyny and the ethics. Look at the ethics of both our presidential candidates, really. What do we need in our leaders moving forward? And how do we ensure that we're growing ethical, qualified, thoughtful candidates for a 2020-2024 run and beyond? I was just having this conversation um, about Senator Barbara Boxer because, as you know, she's retiring and her seat is up for election. And I was thinking about, as I was going to acknowledge her, I was thinking about what makes a leader a leader now. I think the most important thing that we can look for in our leaders, most important trait, are people who make the times, not reflect the times. Mm -hmm. And when I think about people who I really admire, they're people who've pushed the envelope on gay marriage. They're people who have pushed the envelope on race relations. They're people who have been part of helping the public think about what it means to be an American, what it looks like today, what it should look like in the future. Because I think a big part of leadership is helping people see the very best that we can be and then helping people with them craft a path to get there. And, and, and let me just say, thinking about homelessness in particular, I don't believe that most people walk by homeless people and, and not want to help, I think they don't know how. When we make it possible for people to live up to their highest aspirations, for the most part we do. And that's what I'm looking for, people who make the times, don't, not just reflect them. ALF is dedicated to building a better Silicon Valley community by joining and strengthening leaders to serve the common good. We hope you enjoy this podcast and subscribe to The Dialogue on iTunes please visit us online at alfsv.org.